We thank Paul again for sharing her story. Isn't that awesome? Love you. Love what God's doing in her life. I love her sense of humor. If you have ever struggled with having a lack of dad or a bad dad or an absent dad, uh, she has so many stories. She's one of my favorite people around here, and I love her heart and, and uh, just really grateful for what God's done in her life and, and, and showing that he's a good, good father. And because he's a good, good father, when we begin to understand who we are because of knowing who he is, it changes everything. And so that's the reality. And, and I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, I hope that you ha- you've had a great week. And, and if you're new to our church, it's an honor to have you. My name is Scott Hatfield. And uh, it's an honor to be here. I've been here for about uh, 18 months, and, and uh, I'm excited. I'm from Kentucky. Obviously, you heard all that, blah, blah, blah. We're going to move beyond that today because God has something to say to us, all right? He spoke to me a lot last night about how I needed to repent from my mouth. But anyway, and, and all of that, uh, but, but I've been gone for the last couple of weeks. We were on an eight-day short-term mission trip to Harmons, Jamaica, with about 35 people from our church, and God did some phenomenal things in and through uh, our group. It was, a, it was an amazing week. I mean, one of the best weeks ever. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, if you know somebody who went on this trip, in fact, if you just went on this trip, just raise your hand so that you can kind of take a look at how many people are here from this trip. 35 of us, it was awesome. Yep, you can clap for that. Um, please ask them what God taught them, what they saw, what they experienced. And let me just say this, we're going to talk about it in a couple weeks. Uh, it'll be great just to kind of give you a little bit more of a, a bigger uh, glimpse of what that looked like. But here's the deal. If you've never been on a short-term trip, look at me for a second. You have to go. You just have to go. There is nothing like leaving the comforts uh, of your world, your comfort zone, and going somewhere and just serving God. And what's interesting is you drive or you fly so far away and, and, and you show up and God's right there and God just does some remarkable things in and through uh, our people. So proud of our, our, our leadership and, and our, our, our team that went. It was, it was just absolutely amazing. So today we kick off this series called God Is. God Is. And there's probably lots of ways you could fill in the blank, and we'll probably do a series later on about some different types of attributes, but, but in this series, we're going to talk about the nature of God, and we kind of sang that in that first song, we believe God is three in one, and, and we do. We believe that his nature, as you look through the scriptures, is not three gods, it's, it's one God with three different roles that as he kind of manifests himself and shows himself to people, he is Father, he is Son, and he is Spirit. And so that's what we're going to talk about, and today we kick off this idea of what it means to be you know, what God is as far as God the Father. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 15. We'll get there in a few minutes. But, but as, we, as we do that, before we dive in and talk about God being a heavenly Father, here's the reality. We have to talk about this word, this big word that Pauly talked about, that, that Scott even mentioned. It's the word Father. The word Father is polarizing in our, in our world today. You either have great things to say about this word, or you have very, very difficult, painful things to say about this word. This word is so significant in the life of people, in your life, in my life. It's just the reality. And some of us, you know, if you grew up or had a great dad, you know this. You know the, the blessings of having this amazing godly father who was there, who was, who was encouraging, who coached you, who invested in your life. And life was altogether different because of this man and the impact that he had on your life. But that's not all of us. In fact, that's not most of us. A lot of us grew up without a dad who was just non-existent. Maybe we don't even know who he is. Or maybe you know, we, we know him by name, but we've never met him before. Or maybe he was in our home, he was present, but no, wasn't really present at all. At all. He didn't invest, he didn't model, he didn't encourage, he didn't nurture, he didn't lead. He didn't add to your life. In fact, he took away from your life. 
took something from you. Or he added something called insecurity. Or he added something called a broken identity. Or he created this instability in your life. And you know what? You wouldn't say this out loud. You wouldn't say this to anybody else. But the reality is you're still trying to recover from that. That's your story. That's a lot of the stories in this room. His words his, his, or lack of, his passivity, his, his selfishness, his broken promises, his addiction, his lack of commitment to you and the family has continued to domino effect into your life. And you're still trying to figure out what does it really need, mean or what does it really look like to, to be a man who one day can become a dad or what it means to, to have kids and actually be a father or what it means to actually be married and committed to someone who calls himself a man. If you were to ask me today, some of the biggest problems in our society and our culture today We could talk about lots of different things, and this could go lots of different ways, but I'll give you two today. These are the two biggest problems in our culture, right? If you were to go, hey, Scott, what's the two biggest? And you had 10 minutes, I would tell you these things. The first one is this. It's this. Our culture doesn't know the love of God through the life of Christ. Our culture doesn't know the love of God through the life of Jesus. They don't. They don't. There are way too many people walking around the planet just living Monday through Friday, 9 to 5, and then living for the weekend and getting up and doing it all over again. They don't know the Father's heart. They don't know the mission of Jesus to come and reconnect us back to God. They don't know what the cross means and the significance of that. And then three days later on that first Easter Sunday morning that everything changed, they don't know that. That is the biggest problem in our world today. It is the biggest problem in our culture. And the second is right behind it is this. Here it is. The absence of fathers in our culture. Second biggest thing. And you could argue with me all day long and I would not, I would not agree with you because I think this is the second largest problem in our world, in our schools, in our families, in our city. It's the reality. Dads that can't commit, that aren't there, that that don't get involved, that don't invest, that aren't around, that refuse to lead their families, refuse to, to, to walk with integrity and impart this to their kids. They just aren't around. Many of them are just boys who can shave. That's the reality. Or they're non-existent altogether. And here's the fallout. A third of children born today have no father on their birth certificate. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. That is a statistic. One out of three have no dad on their birth certificate. Second thing is this, 43% of all kids grow up without a dad in their home. They may see him periodically, they may see him weekly, but the reality is he's not there. He's not there all the time. He's not available. He's not, he's not in the place in which God put him for whatever reason. And the impact of that is overwhelming. 90% of all homeless and runaway children are from fatherless homes, 32 times the national average. 71% of pregnant teenagers lack a father. 71% of all high school dropouts come from fatherless homes. That's nine times the national average. 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers come from fatherless homes. And 85% of youth in prison come from fatherless homes. That's 20 times the national average. In fact, they've labeled this generation the fatherless generation. There's a father epidemic in our world today. And it is ravaging kids and middle school students and high school students and even young adults today. And they're missing out on the heart that God has for them. There's this void of earthly dads. And here's the reality. Here's where this thing goes into place. It has skewed, distorted, clouded, confused our picture of what God the Father should look like. Because whether or not you had an amazing father 
or you had a really, really bad father, what we do is regardless of what it is, we just kind of plug it in, we just pump it up, and we go, God's just kind of a bigger version of that. And the reality is that is not the case. It is altogether different. Even for me and with my kids, my three, I want them to know how much I love them. I'm striving as a dad to love them very well and be the best father, husband I can be. The reality, though, I want them to understand that God is altogether different than me. He is far from me. I'm striving to to become more like him, but I am far from that picture. I want them to understand the reality of that. My prayer today is this, that you would get a glimpse, a picture, a real understanding apart from the condition or status or, 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 or picture of your earthly father, that you could see clearly today this picture of this good, good father that we sing about, that we're going to read about, that I'm going to talk about today. And my hope is, this is my hope, is that you would know his heart, that you would know his love for you, that it would begin to change everything in your life, that it would reset your identity and, and, and totally put you down a path where your purpose is clear, where you have hope in him. If you don't know him, my hope today is that you will get a glimpse of this heavenly father who loves you, longs to walk with you, longs to, to be your heavenly father in spite of whatever your dad looked like, did, didn't do, said, didn't say. So before we dive into the text today, I want to give you some context as to what's going on here. It's a wild scene. Jesus Christ has put, the Son of God's put on flesh and walked among us 2,000 years ago. And he's, he's with a group of people. He's with an interesting group of people. In fact, this group is a group maybe that you wouldn't have never anticipated that he would ever hang out with. It says this in Luke 15, 1. It says, now there were tax collectors and sinners and Kansas Jayhawk fans. We're all gathering around to... <laughs> It's not in there? Okay. Now, there were tax collectors and sinners. We're all gathering around to hear him, him being Jesus. Now, here's what's interesting. Two categories of people, tax collectors and sinners. And if you kind of think, well, why tax collectors? What's, what's his deal with H&R Block? What's the deal with all these people? You know, the reality is if you saw kind of these ambulance kind of chasing lawyers, that's kind of the mentality, the, the sinking feeling in your stomach that you go, oh, they're just in this for this. They don't really care. But well, they're just trying to swindle people. That's kind of the tax collectors. And then they're added to this big category called sinners. And they were shady, greedy, selfish, immoral, sinful, disliked, even hated people. They were. And Jesus is hanging out with them. He constantly hangs out with them. He's interested in them. He's probably teaching them. He's probably showing compassion toward them. And as we think about Jesus, you know, the people that he hung out with, these wouldn't have been the people that we would have chosen for the Son of God to hang out with. We wouldn't have. We would never have pictured this. We would have thought, you know, he's probably going to hang out with, like, religious leaders or the Billy Graham of that day or these priests or these Pharisees or whatever. And he doesn't. He never does. He hangs out with people that are really, really far from God. Awesome. Jesus is spending time with them, people that are far from God. What's interesting is that you'd think that from this group's perspective, okay, these people that were really far from God, you'd think that he would be the last person that they would want to hang out with. But that's not the case. And it's never the case. As you read scripture, as you see these stories about Jesus, he's constantly interacting with people that are far from God. And this is not your notes, you should write this down. Here's the reality people that were nothing like Jesus like Jesus. Do you get that? People that were nothing like Jesus. They liked Jesus. They did. I mean, they just did. And, and, and you know what? Here, let me just kind of put this in our category for a second. People who are nothing like Christ followers should like Christ followers, right? Because we're like Jesus. 
That's, that's a hurdle we've got to get over. We've got to figure this out. We've got to look a lot more like Jesus so that people in our worlds would like us because of the lives that we live, because of the way that we care and love people well. Jesus is spending time with those that are far from God, marginalized, people that, 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 that people didn't really like. They didn't amount to anything. They were morally way down the, 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 the road from this standpoint. But you know what's interesting? There's another group here. Another group of people, and they always seem to kind of follow Jesus, monitor him, pay attention to him, drop bombs, you know, big questions on him, things like that to try to discredit, diffuse, uh, destroy his reputation and his ministry. And here's what it says in, in, in verse, verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They muttered. I like that word, muttered. It's an interesting word. And if you're not familiar with Pharisees or teachers of the law, uh, these were these religious higher-ups who were holier than thou, thought they were better, snubbed their nose, looked down on people. If if you're trying to get your mind around this idea of who these Pharisees or teachers of the law were, think Westboro Road Baptist Church in Topeka, Kansas. Okay? Got a picture? That's who they are. Better than everybody else. You know, had, had the total understanding of who God is, and if you weren't like them, then you weren't worth much. That's the reality, and they would let you know it day in, day out. That's the reality. And so they're muttering. They're muttering. Who is this man? Who is this man? How can he do these things? How can he perform these miracles? How can he teach in this way? How are all these people following him? Why would he hang out with all these people? Who, who are these people? Who is this Man, they muttered, and Jesus heard them, overheard them, and then he changes the, the complete trajectory of their conversation, and he tells three awesome stories. The first one is this, a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep. He's out in this field somewhere. He's counting. Ninety-nine, third time. He leaves the ninety-nine, takes off, leaves them in harm's way, seems irresponsible, seems ridiculous, but he leaves, he leaves the comfort of 99 to go after the one. And when he finds the one, he brings it back. He throws this amazing party because the sheep that was once lost is now found. Second story is this. There's a woman. She lives in this house. She's got 10 silver coins. It's all that she has. She's counting them up. Gets to nine. Can't find the tenth. Starts looking all over the house, turning the house upside down. She ferociously cleans like she's never cleaned before. Finds this, 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 this tenth silver coin calls all of her friends, all of her girlfriends, come over, we're going to have this party. There's this coin that I lost that I've now found. We're going to celebrate. Here's the third story. It's our text today. Luke 15, 11 to 32. Here it is. It's in your notes. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property among them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all that he had, set off for a distant country, and then squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And then verse 17, these six words, we'll talk about them. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my my father's hired servants have food to spare, yet here I am starving to death? I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, he kissed him, and then the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, 
Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, put sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. Verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. And the servant said, your brother has come home and your father has killed the fatted calf because he, is, he has him back safe and sound. Verse 28, the older brother became angry, refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and you never and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not, your, not my brother, but the, when this son of yours who squandered your property, your money, your wealth with prostitutes comes home, you killed a fatted calf for him? My son, the father said, you were always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. Let's dig out the truth and get an accurate view of this father that God talks about, that Jesus talks about in the scriptures that that we're going to walk through today. Number one in your notes, the father loved the younger brother or his younger son enough to let him go. That's a hard one. It It doesn't start easy. Some of you have had to let some people in your life that you love go. It's hard. It's not easy. It says here in verse 11, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, this doesn't happen normally, okay? Normally the father has to die and then the inheritance happens. And normally what happens is is obviously the firstborn gets more because he's going to be responsible for taking care of the the estate and the property. And then the the, the younger gets gets whatever's left. But the younger one says, you know what, I just just assume that you'd be dead. I just want what is coming to me. I'm ready to leave. I can't stand it here anymore. I'm tired of the rules. I'm tired of the responsibility. I'm tired of the expectations. I'm running. Can you please give me what belongs to me so I can go? And the father does. The father does. Do you think that the father knew how this was going to end? Do you think that he knew how this movie was going to be played out? Do you think that he knew that this was a train wreck waiting to happen, that he was going to make one bad decision after another? Do you think he knew where this money was going to go and how quickly it was going to go? The answer is yes. Yes. But he humbly and painfully said, here you go. And even though he'd set up some loving boundaries for this son, he knew that greater constraints would lead to greater rebellion. And so he humbly said, here's your money. I love you but you can go. The father knew that this kid was going to get hurt, knew that he was in over his head, knew that he'd outkicked his coverage, knew that he was going to make one bad decision after another, knew that this was a train wreck waiting to happen. But sometimes as a parent, the most loving thing that you can do for your kids is to let them go. And some of you parents know the heartache of that statement right there. You know that because you've got a son or a daughter or maybe two sons or maybe two daughters or a daughter and a son who once knew God, loved God, and said, you know what? I don't need it, don't want it, I want to do my own thing. And you sit now worried, concerned about the fallout and and, and the heartbreak of what might happen because of those decisions. But the reality is, here's what you know, love demands the freedom to choose. It just does. You cannot force love. Love is a decision. It's a choice. It cannot be forced, enforced, or required. You cannot force love. And the father knew that in this story. second point is this. The father in this story is a runner, is a runner. What's interesting is that in this time, and and, and really today, uh, especially in the first century, Jewish men didn't run anywhere. 
In fact, when they would walk, their families had to walk behind them. It was out of respect. And they walked everywhere. They wouldn't, they wouldn't run anywhere. No, one, no father would run anywhere. But yet you see in this story that the father is a runner. Here's what happens. He knew exactly what was going to happen. This rebellious son would blow every last dollar traveling, partying on prostitutes and, and, and wild parties. And, and then he gets to the end of himself. Spring break meets Mardi Gras, meets the Playboy Mansion. Fine wine, fast women. Key happy moments for a second. That led to uh, long-term regret, heartache, pain, an empty bank account, loneliness, and shame. You see, this always happens. It's his story. It's my story. It's your story. Sounds good. Feels good. Step over the line. And then there's a moment. The dominoes fall. There are consequences. The Bible says you reap what you sow. And he is reaping what he sown. And then it says this. These might be the best words. Then he came to his senses. Moment of clarity. Moment of understanding. It's no longer foggy. No longer sure. What have I done? It's the oh crap moment. It's the how did I get here moment. And then all of a sudden there's reality. I've messed this up. I've hurt people. I've ruined my life when he came to his senses. Then the boy shamefully decides he's going to go home, apologize to his father with the best case scenario, that he's going to go put on a uniform, be a servant, and work on the property and live out there where the rest of the servants do in their own little part of the property, eat what they eat. That's the best case scenario. Worst case scenario, he comes to the door. His, his dad says, what are you doing here? I'm not your dad anymore, remember? You want to be dead? I'm dead to you. You're dead to me. Thanks for coming by. Never want to see you again. Peace out. Shunned, rejected, sent away. Those were his two options. So he starts with his speech. His speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. He walks through all of that. And and, and so finally, can you imagine this walk this son had on the way home? Everybody knows. Everybody knew what was going to happen. He, he, he's, he's on his way home. Can you imagine the, 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 the feelings of what's going to happen? Is he going to embrace me? Is this going to be bad? What am I going to do if he says no? What's it going to look like? But he keeps going, keeps pressing forward, head down over the hill, the last hill to his house. His dad sees him coming down the driveway. Here's what it says, Luke, Luke 15, 20. But by, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He's filled with compassion for him. And he ran toward his son. Threw his arms around him and he kissed him. This picture of the father that Jesus talks about in this story is that God the Father is a runner. He's running. He's running toward you. He ran toward me, pursuing you with compassion, longing for you to understand the depth of his love. God is always the initiator. Don't know if you realize that or not. You are not smart enough in and of yourself on your own to come up with God and find God on your own. He is always pursuing you. He was always close. He is always only one step away. That last step belongs to you. He always initiates the, 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 the relationship. God always moves first. I love what Tim Keller says. It's not repentance that causes the, the Father's love, but the reverse. It's the Father's love that draws us to Him that causes us to want to follow Him. It's not about us trying to clean up our lives. And then come back to God. It's about God coming toward us in our current condition, regardless of what that is. Saying, I want you. I love you. I'm here for you. I'm so glad that you're home. Our God, the Father, is a runner. Number three, 
The father's a party thrower. He's a party thrower. And I didn't grow up in church. I didn't, you know, I wasn't born into a Christian home or a pastor's family or an elder's family or anything like that. I, I thought, I, if you'd have told me this back when I was 16 years old, I would have said, that is the most untrue thing that's ever been said because there's no way that God could throw an awesome party. I've been to awesome parties, and they're not those type of parties. And, and the fact that church people or Christians could throw awesome parties, uh, they, they throw the lamest part. They have to throw the lamest parties. But the reality is, is that the father here in the story is a party thrower. This boy gets into his speech, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer, I mean, how many times has he rehearsed it on his way home? Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And immediately it stops. The father says no. Calls to his servant and says this. Verse 22. Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine, son of mine, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's now found. So they began to celebrate. The father offers the son four key things in this story. He offers him the best robe, a ring, sandals, and a feast. Okay? This, this son will, no, will not be a servant. He is a dearly loved son. And here's what happens next. He initiates a party. The son doesn't ask for it. He doesn't deserve it. He never sees it coming. But the father says, we're going to throw a party. And what's interesting is as you look in the Bible, you see that God and God's people always threw these parties, especially in the Old Testament. And they would go on for weeks at a time. And what's interesting is that uh, for some reason, um, they were a party people. And now today, it seems like church people or Christians have forgotten or lost the ability to throw a great party. And here's the reality. If God can create everything out of nothing ex nihilo, I think he can throw a great party. And I think we should throw great parties. I think our weekend services should be great parties. I think our life groups should be great parties. I think our student ministries should be great parties. I think our children's ministry should be great parties. I think when we go short-term trips all over the place, we should be throwing great parties because of an amazing God and his grace and his love for us. Jesus tells tells these first two stories about, about this sheep and this coin. And he talks about these things that were lost and when they became found. And when they became found, the result is a celebration. There was a party that was thrown. But Jesus also speaks about a greater party. Here's what he says, Luke 15, 5 through 7. It says, and when he finds it, meaning the shepherd with the sheep, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And then he says this, I tell you in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't need to repent. Same is true with the, the second story, the lost coin. When she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, again, this is Jesus, there is more rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. Do you get that? That every single person who comes to Christ, all of heaven stops and throws a party for that person, that story. And for me, when I was 17 years, 17 years old, when I gave my life to Christ, when I bowed my knee, when I confessed him, when I was baptized, he threw this party for me. For some of you, whether it was this year or last year or 20 years ago, God stopped all that he was doing and said, hey, check this out. My son, my daughter's come home. Let's celebrate together. Our God is a party thrower. Our God is a, a party thrower because 
Dead people come alive and the lost become found all because of a compassionate, perfect, heavenly Father who loves us. Here's the reality. The God who spoke the world into existence made everything that we see, formed you in your mother's womb and put breath in our lungs. He is Father. He is Father. This is God the Father's heart toward us. It's God the heart, His heart toward Polly and every person in this room. Our response is simply this, to love Him, to worship Him, to live our lives for Him. It's why Jesus came and died on a cross to, to, to illustrate, to demonstrate the Father's love for us. It's why He rose from the grave so that we could know that we have hope beyond this life. This life is not it, folks. No matter who wins, no matter what happens, no matter how much money you make, no matter what you drive or where you go, one day there will be a funeral for you. Okay? And everything will become crystal clear by then. Jesus calls us to go and share the Father's love. It's his marching orders, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me, Jesus said. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to go into all nations. Okay? And I want you to baptize them. Make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus put a calling on them, and he put, a call, he put a call on us to go and make disciples, help people find and follow Jesus, baptize them, and teach them to obey everything that Jesus is teaching us, to throw great parties, because there's an awful lot of people in your life and my life who have yet to experience, who have yet to know the Father's love for them. It's the heartbeat of this church. Our vision statement is to know Christ, to make him known, and enjoy the journey. That's, that's, our, that's our marching orders, to love God and love people well. Everything that we do is about helping people know God, to know the Father's love, and then to, to be about the things that he wants us to be about. I want to transition. Here it is. Our leadership has been wrestling through some things, been trying to figure out some pieces, been praying, asking God for direction and clarity uh, to Gateway as to what it means and what it looks like to, to really chase hard after this, to, to, to support and build up our, our vision, our mission, so that people can understand the greater uh, piece of what it means to follow him so that we can be empowered to do this well and better. We've had lots of discussions around this topic uh, about helping our church grow spiritually, okay, growing spiritually, deeper in our love for God, and then numerically, trying to figure out how can we connect with you to reach more people, more families, more students, uh, your friends and family, so that they can know Christ. That's the hope in all of this. And we've been asking God for direction on how we grow our leadership, be more intentional about how we build our teams, and partner with you to help you reach your, your family and friends for Christ so that they can know the Father's love. And we've been, we've been seeking clarity, asking for clarity. And on January 8th and 9th at our leadership retreat with our trustees and some of our staff, we got clarity. It landed with conviction. And so here's what we're going to do. We're going to share with you some key components that are going to help us build on to, again, just, just support our vision and what we're about. And I'm excited about what God's doing. Yeah, I, I think you're going to be excited about, about what God's doing too. Um, and, and here's the deal. We're going to have one of our trustees, Corey Crandall, is going to, going to share some of this stuff with you. And so would you welcome Corey Crandall to the stage?